long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at North Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Good. I'm I'm considering the complications of my relationship with Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that's a, that's a good thing to consider. Uh, uh, a lot of folks are, I guess... Doing that, especially maybe I don't know, Mayor Pete fans, well, they probably yes. already had a pretty uncomplicated relationship with Mike Pence. But anyway, this well, no, kind of sounds like it's it's it sounds like Mayor Pete was saying it's it, it's complicated. So yeah, I guess he was kind of saying it's complicated. I, but... yeah, my 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 point being much to uh, one one gets a lot more uh, media attention saying you have a complicated relationship with Mike Pence uh, than. Than not so. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Well, I think this this kind of plays in. Certainly, the, the story I wanted to start with today kind of plays into at least one element of this in an indirect way. Um, I didn't even realize that this was a thing anymore, Jay, uh, until I. This is why I read conservative media because things that aren't things in the New York Times and the Washington Post sometimes are on the right. Um, and this has been making There's the rounds. There's a whole recently. new world out there, Mike. Yeah. You know, it really is. And this is why, you know, I think it's important. But anyway, um, after a Think Progress report came out that reported that the charitable foundation of fast food chain Chick-fil-A had donated to the Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the Paul Anderson Youth Home. And these are all organizations strongly opposed to homosexuality and LGBTQ rights expansion. The San Antonio wow. City Council voted to block the Chick-fil-A from opening in the San Antonio airport. There was a concession vendor for the Buffalo airport that blocked the Chick-fil-A from going in there. And Ryder University, I believe in New Jersey, stopped the Chick-fil-A from coming to their campus. Now, conservatives are saying, it seems, that this is a clear case of anti-religious bias. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Well, I think it is. <laughs> and I think they've, they've I think the, the, the folks have made it clear that that's their reason uh, is they do not approve of uh, certain contributions that, that were made. And again, contribution to the Salvation Army. Um, that's, I mean, again, this is not uh, um, I mean, you can you can I don't think anyone would when you think of the Salvation Army, uh, I don't think you say, oh, those anti-gay crusaders. Uh, right. I mean, that's well, not their, and maybe, their maybe the problem is they've been able to cover that up a lot. You know, I mean, that's 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 the thing. I mean, so we shouldn't just assume that, well, it's a Salvation Army. You know, they've been around forever, but, you know, they certainly aren't uh, they certainly aren't exactly uh, for LGBTQ rights. OK. And so to me, I understand the argument, but I think it's I think it's wrong. I mean, to most people on the left, myself included. These organizations, while they do some very good work in certain aspects, are in this aspect of LGBTQ rights and some other you know, women's reproductive rights in many cases and other things are, I believe, intolerant. And maybe that intolerance is, comes from what they believe their religion to tell them to do, you know, but that doesn't make it any less intolerant. And so while I can respect, well, let's, 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 I, let's talk, let's break, let's break down there. I want to break down. What, what do you mean by intolerant? I mean, it, is intolerant, like I disagree with this or intolerant to me means I'm not going to tolerate this. I mean, I guess there's, there's two, you know. Okay. That, that's a good point. I think it is good to, to make sure that that term is 
is uh, understood. I guess by intolerance, I mean uh, unable or unwilling to grant people in these categories the same rights that they have. Okay. So maybe that would be, maybe intolerant isn't, I see what you're saying. It seems to me you're saying intolerant is a, is a, too kind of uh, explosive of a word well, yeah, to it's, use. It's one, it's one thing to say, and look, um, you could also say these organizations share the same position on same-sex marriage that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton did mm-hmm. um, when they campaigned for president, um, and and positions that are are not necessarily, uh, you know, look, you, you, what I'm saying is you can have different opinions on this, and they may stem from a religious basis. Um, but if it's just an opinion, then then that's something different than saying uh, I'm going to deny someone their their rights, right? And well, the, well, the, think... um, the the minority in in Obergefell um, warned of this. I mean, they said this is going to be used as a cudgel um, against people, and the majority said, "No, no, no, you're crazy." Um, but that's that's exactly what's happening, and it's a matter of look if you don't, uh, it, it's it's a Maoist kind of culture, right? If if you don't uh, essentially not even speak the party line but but you know celebrate the party line you're going to be um uh, sort of publicly shamed and you will have to publicly apologize and, and all this sort of thing um and i i think it's a a, a very uh, very bad situation um and i think chick-fil-a ought to sue them well see i so you're saying that a, a private organization uh, should be what compelled to allow Chick Fil A to come to their airport or their well, school? It's not a, it's or not a private like organization. City council voted. You're right. You're a, city council, right? Yeah. The I school. mean, again, but, with, but even, but okay, well, you're this, right. No, no, that's a good point. Say, I would, no, I would, I would differ on on the school thing. I, I okay. would say if it's a private school, uh, or if it's a mall or whatever, um, look, yeah, you've got a right there to decide who who's in your mall or who's in your school. Uh, that said, um. I think you ought not to to kowtow to sort of the 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 Twitter mob. Um, if you do that, I think it's shameful, but it's not it's not illegal. Uh, it is illegal um, for a a state actor, which would include sort of a you know municipal airport port authority, whatever you know they they set it up as, uh, to say we're going to ban certain uh, businesses. Because we don't like charitable contributions you're right. no, that their yeah. CEO yeah. has made. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. If it were just that, I would totally agree with you. Um, but I should also point out that uh, Chick Fil A is really. I mean, it's a this is a huge company. I believe it's the third largest fast food. Yeah. They're behind, you know, just McDonald's and one other, I think. But they're they're huge, and they're one of the few companies their size that don't include protections against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And so I think that's a much stronger legal grounds to say this is a discriminatory company. And so it's not about who they're giving money to. It's about their own internal policies. And so I think on that, that that's, that's a much sounder footing on which to deny them, you know, uh, to vote against them going into an airport or thing like that. Well, again, I suppose it, it, it's, stems also from what the statutory uh environment is that they're you know some states have sure, protective yeah, statutes that's a good point. and, yeah, and look if, if you're operating that state you got to play by that state's rules yeah. um uh, i'd also question though i mean from from everything i've heard or read uh chick-fil-a employees are are treated fine they've never turned away any customers for 
their their sexual proclivities or, or their employees, as far as I know. Um, and you know, they they make really good chicken sandwiches. Uh, so I mean, that, that to me, that's why it seems that it, it's this is a uh, well, again, it's a religious but, test. But, but but to me, that's like saying, well, we don't need, say, uh, sexual harassment. We don't need to worry about sexual harassment because, oh, we don't have any evidence that it happened or anything like that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that's a great argument, certainly. And and I guess the thing that really bothers me more than anything else is that when some on the right conflate uh, anti-opposition uh, to discrimination to an anti-religious sentiment more generally, I am, I am very open and, you know, toward any kind of, well, most forms of religious practice. And I don't object, you know, there are some things, human sacrifice, whatever kind of thing, but there are certain things where I say, well, no, this isn't about the fact that you, you follow uh, Jesus and the Bible and all that. Hey, that's great. But it's the problem. I have a problem with your interpretation of this particular thing and understand, I don't have a problem with you practicing your religion. Go ahead and do it. But understand that you're going to have to pay a price for doing that. And if you're not willing to do that, then I guess, you know, you want it both ways. And but I, I guess the question is, I mean, they're not they're not practicing the religion. They're selling chicken sandwiches. But they are in the sense that right? if, they I mean, are, if they are, if they are, they are, they are I in disagree. the sense that some other money that they get. OK, well, let's 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 play this out, though. I mean, if, if you have um, and again, so many people, I think, on the left misunderstand this. Um you go to Chick-fil-A, you give them their money, they give you a chicken sandwich. At that point, it's your chicken sandwich, it's their money. Um and and what they do with what they do with the money and what you do with the sandwich is really neither of of your businesses, right? Well, sure, and I can choose to eat there or not if I and if I don't like their exactly. policies. I and that's, right. and that and that's that's one thing to say. Uh I don't like their their policies, I don't like their founder, I don't like who they give money to. I'm not going to go. It's quite another to say and the government is going to say they can't operate a business. Well, the government's not saying they can't operate a business. They're just saying they that they, they are in, in the airport. Right. They're just saying we because of your anti-LGBTQ <laughs> internal policies. You I can't mean, operate a business. Because, well, yeah. And you have a problem with that? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Because, I, again, this is this is a um, – I'm not sure that they're anti – if if for some reason and I haven't seen this yet, uh, that their policies do not conform with what is required by state or federal law, then yes, you're absolutely within your rights to to say that. But I don't think that showing's been made, and it's it's much more. This is a, I mean, this this is sort of a. It's almost like a code word kind of thing, right? It's like oh, your policies don't conform. That means you're Christian. Um, I, I think it's I think it's religious bigotry, and uh, I think they ought to stand up to it. Okay, all right. Um, let's move on. Uh, you know, I, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Um, I think one of these days it's possible that we might see Donald Trump's tax reforms. Though, um, certainly, uh, at least if Democrats in Congress right have have <laughs> have their way about it, at least they might see them. I don't know if we actually will. Jay, right. you and I probably won't be looking at Donald Trump's I don't really care. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I didn't figure you would. But so now this battle between right now House Ways and Means Committee Chair Richard Neal and the administration is still continuing. The Treasury Secretary Stephen State I always get his last name wrong. Newton. There you go. Who just looks like a Bond villain. Um and maybe <laughs> sometimes is anyway. Um 
he has decided to not comply with the deadline the Congress gave him or the committee gave him to turn over the returns. Now, to me, the statutory, the statutory authority here is pretty clear. That 1924 yep. federal law says the IRS shall furnish these records to Congress on request. There's not even anything in the law that requires a justification, which in this case is, I would say, obvious. Congress is concerned that, you know, the president's many business holdings and particularly his failure to move them into a blind trust and became president could potentially present, uh, you know, serious conflicts of interest here. But in addition to this, there's another level of this that's developing. Um, Jay, I'm sure you know that oftentimes you include your federal returns as attachments to your state returns. Right. right? And so New York's legislature is now considering a measure that would let Congress request Donald Trump's state returns, presumably the returns of anyone from New York State, I would imagine, because <laughs> it probably isn't the anti-Donald Trump law. Uh, oh, I, actually, I, I would expect it is the anti-Donald Trump law. Well, yeah, but law. I, I mean, it, it you couldn't well, write it, it that may way. well fall into what's called a bill of attainder. But. Yeah, you couldn't write it that way, so it'd be anyone. So, I mean, what do you, there are two ways to look at this, and I want to look at them both ways. First is the, just on the, on the policy, the law you know, what's going to happen, and then the politics. So let's look at, let's save the politics for last. I mean, Jay, do you think that Congress has the right legally to get these returns, and do you think that Congress will? I think th I think they do, and I think they probably will. Even, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can say, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it may be a, a dumb law, a, a perhaps, and again, it's only, it's not, it's not Congress, it's, it's the House uh, Committee, right? Like the, it's, just, it, it's, there are, I think, believe, Three committees in the House. It's, that, or it's a very two specified. Two committees in the House, one yeah. in the Senate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think look, that's that's what the the uh, the statute says. Uh, there may be, I mean, maybe you can make some arguments that later taxation IRS statutes have somehow superseded it and provide more privacy protections. I don't, I don't know that that actually flies. Um, so yeah, I, I think they probably can get it, and I think they probably will get it. Because yeah, what I'm hearing from at least some folks on the right is who are opposed to this is more of a separation of powers type of argument, essentially that this is a, you know, a politically motivated thing that's being done to hamstring the president. And then there it's, you know, I, to me Which that may is. be true, but the law is what the law yeah. is here. So, and the law doesn't say, well, they can get it as long as it's not political. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, now the politics of it is maybe a little more interesting how could you see this as being good for and bad for? Oh, I think it's good for Trump. I and mean, why it's, is sort that? Of, it's sort of, it, it plays right into his narrative of, look, the Democrats don't want to fix problems. All they want to do is harass me. Mm -hmm. um, this is another thing. There's nothing in there. It's a witch hunt. No collusion. Um, I've already been investigated by, uh, uh, by Bob Mueller for so many years. I've had all these, uh, other investigations going forward. Uh, we have a lot of big problems in this country. They don't want to fix it. They just want to try to play gotcha. Uh, and this is what they do to their political opponents. I hope you don't become one of them too. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right on that. And there are a number of folks in the house leadership who seem to kind of agree with that, or at least are concerned about that sort of thing, knowing that, you know, that House majority is is based on some swing districts where people might have a problem with that because I don't think it matters what's in these returns from a political standpoint. The president can essentially 
you know, bluster his way out of it, no matter what it is, even if it shows, as I would guess, that his net worth is considerably lower than what he claims, then he'll just say something about, well, I do it for, you know, and I don't know what he'll say, but people will buy it, you know. And But I also think that as just a matter of policy, there is a legitimate reason to have this. And there is a legitimate reason to want to know if there are potential conflicts of interest. So putting the politics aside, I think that's why it's why it's been the practice for all modern presidents or presidential candidates to release multiple years of their returns. And that's why I would actually, I think the smart way to deal with this, at least if I were, if I were in the house, I, I would suggest legislation. This is part of uh, the Democrats, HR one, the for the people bill, one of the, 38,000 clean, good government provisions was to require the major party nominees to release 10 years of their tax returns. Now, I think it would be great to just propose that as a standalone without any of the complicating other, you know, things that other people could argue against and just say, let's just make this practice that everyone's done except for Donald Trump and make it required for all presidential candidates going forward. I think that would be a lot harder to argue against. What do you, yeah. what do you think? It, well, it would be, but and I think it would be a lot better. That. Would play a lot better politically too. It would put the president in a tougher because, of course, he has this argument of, well, I'm being audited, and so I can't. And tax people say, no, there's no reason why you can't, you know. And of course, we don't actually even know if he's being audited. So, you know. Well, knows? to some to some extent, uh, I think maybe the president. I think I think sometimes we don't give him enough credit. Um, Okay. I think he may be playing the game that that Obama did with the birth certificate stuff, right? Uh, that is, there's nothing really there to show or to find, but by holding out and not providing it, he's able to to build up this. Look, it's a conspiracy; they're all out to get me. Look at these crazy people. Mm. Okay. And eventually, you know, Trump gives the tax returns, and people say, "Oh, all right, well, he's not worth as much as as he said he was." And the left will go, "Aha." And the rest of the country could be like, okay, so what? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's going to be. Yeah, I, th- I think you're because, right. Because, because yeah. here's the thing: I, I don't think I don't think Congress is going to find a crime. Yeah. Uh, I would have to think that you know if he has been audited, and I look, if you're the IRS, aren't you going to audit Donald Trump? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would think. Right. It. I mean, I mean, it would, there would, he would have to have been, and 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 you know, he would be a, a person under a lot of scrutiny, um, regardless of even if he ever ran for president. Um, so I'm I'm sure that that these his returns have been scrutinized and i'm sure he's got some of the best lawyers best accountants working on this best and my sense is if there was something to find it would have been found by now well i think um, it's more i agree with you i think it's more goes not so much to crimes but to conflicts and and i think you know it's kind of like with the with the Mueller report thing what we it seems like what we you and i expected is probably what came out of it basically and i think it would be the same thing with an analysis of his tax returns be like well this looks a little shady yeah. this seems kind of hinky this could potentially be a conflict but there's nothing that you could actually say rises to the level of that would get that would get him impeached and convicted. Right. So to me, that's it's an entirely a political calculus then, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, how much how much does the president feel that he loses by resisting this, versus how much does uh, do Congress look like the bad guys or bullies or just harassers by insisting on it? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it it makes a lot more sense politically for Democrats to not I mean not abandon this because of course I think there are legitimate reasons to look at it, but not to play it up. 
and to focus much more on things like, say, immigration and other issues where I think the president's a lot weaker. So, yeah. All right. Um, moving on, you know, it seems like there's a cast of thousands uh, Democratic president of candidates. I think it's like, I want to say 26, but it's probably more at this point. But we're finally getting, I think, our first look at maybe how viable many of these candidates are based on what, you know, is one of the most important metrics in politics, and that's money, of course, mm -hmm. because we just saw these first quarter fundraising numbers. And it's actually some interesting stuff in here. Um, maybe it's just a brief rundown, Jay. Leading the pack by far at $18.2 million raised from 525,000 people is Bernie Sanders. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's followed by Kamala Harris, who brought in 12 million from 138,000 donors. Beto O'Rourke is at 9.4 million from 163,000. And most of that came like in the first 24 hours after he announced. And then it, what I think is the biggest surprise, uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg pulled in $7 million from 159,000 donors. Um, I'd say the second biggest surprise, Elizabeth Warren. Um, she was the first major candidate to enter the race, and she's in fifth place in the money, money total with uh, $6 million from 135,000 uh, donors. And and she's you, also pledged not to take any sort yeah, of... Yeah, and that's, I think, why this is maybe not quite as surprising, because she did decide unilaterally to not do any big money donor events. But, uh, so I thought that was, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting, especially, I would not have guessed that Bernie would have that much of a lead in his number of donors, I think, you know, that's a lot more donors than anyone else. And also, of course, Mayor Pete, who is doing really, really well. I mean, I tend to think that Mayor Pete is not going to be there in the long run that maybe he's just maybe running more for vice president more than anything else probably but hey who knows people can catch fire and so forth and he certainly he's having his moment but is there anything in there that jumps out at you actually that actually that's pretty much what i would have expected mm -hmm. uh, i would have maybe expected elizabeth warren to be higher uh again but for uh her issuing uh you know bigger bigger number bigger donations um, but look, Bernie's the most, the most recognizable name. He's the biggest crowd draw. Uh, uh, he's, he's the guy who was actually sort of run before. Um, and so I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that he's, he's out in front and yeah. he's, he's also been around the longest, the oldest, you know, most connections, that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. Um, the uh, the O'Rourke and the Buttigieg stuff, I think, is a little funny because it's there's so much of this this bizarre pop up Internet finance stuff that, you know, you, you get these crowdsourced, all these donations kind of pour in over a weekend. And, and then eh, I don't know that yeah. that, that yeah. is sustainable, that tapers off. It's like, oh, hey, this, you know, here's this great guy. He seems really interested. He seems really fun. Uh, look at him skateboard. Um, here's a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, but is that is that sustainable? Uh, I I don't necessarily know that it is, um, and I, I think there's there's so many. And this tends to happen, I think, more in, in Democratic candidates uh, or campaigns than the Republican ones. But I mean, remember Wesley Clark? Oh yeah, um, that's right. Wow. I mean, I remember right. uh, yeah. Doctor? Um, oh gosh, who was the? Uh, he was then the DNC chairman, Howard Howard Dean. Yep. Um, I mean, it was it was all these that would have these sort of boomlets of. Uh, of wow and and time magazine would declare here's the future of the democrat party yeah um and then like three weeks later you're like who yeah um yeah. and the same could be saying uh, said on the republican side for like a herman cain or someone like that who 
who would have completely escaped notoriety for the rest of his life if Trump hadn't just uh, tried to appoint him <laughs> to the Fed, yeah. right? I mean, you would you would have been really oh, you geez. you would have been struggling for like who is that guy, the pizza yep. guy who was running? Yep. You're right, and it, it was one of these like, wow, he's the next Republican front runner, and again, he was for like you know a week and a half, and um, yeah, what happens? It's it's just not necessarily sustainable. So. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, uh, one thing I was waiting for, and, and uh, my guy has not released his numbers yet, uh, John Hickenlooper, but uh, I, I I hope he's up there. We'll we'll see. Probably he's not going to be nearly that high, but I am waiting. I am waiting for the Hickenlooper boom to to start. Uh, okay. Please God. Anyway, um, all right. Uh, you know, I thought the last thing we could maybe talk about is something a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, as you know, Jay, um, I did. I was in Chicago last week for a conference uh i, I love chicago especially for, unfortunately not the victim of any hate crimes no no while no, you were there no, nothing nothing untoward happened but uh anyway so yeah aside from uh, when i when i found time from visiting all the amazing bookstores in chicago i'm embarrassed to say jay i, I ended up buying 42 books in chicago i don't know wow. how that happened but they have some great bookstores there anyway um but i i was there for uh to present a paper on political podcasts and uh, this is for the midwest political science association and along with, uh, as part of the paper, along with an undergraduate student uh, of mine, uh, the very smart and talented Johanna Bird. Thank you, Johanna, if you're listening. I We analyzed Apple's top 200 podcasts in the news and politics category just to kind of see what the political podcasting universe looked like, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found is, well, first off, once you filter out the true crime podcast, that category is a lot smaller. I mean, true crime is a, a huge thing, basically. But when we did that, it was kind of interesting. Some of the things that we found in terms of the ideology and, and, and other sorts of uh, things about the podcast, for instance, uh, over half of the top politics podcasts were left or far left compared to under 25 percent that were right or far right, you know, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, even but uh, more- to me, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Why is that? I think just the demographics that that you're talking about. I think it's it's younger people tend to listen to podcasts, uh, younger, wealthier, uh, you know, more college age folks who are especially getting that that sort of leftist bent. Uh, there's sort of a you know uh, more enlightened people. Yeah. Well, I would also say there's no, there's sort of it's sort of a lifestyle hipster sure. kind of uh, you know thing to to listen to to podcasts, and if you're going to listen to one, you might as well listen to a leftist one to to complete the the image. But. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and that that kind of dry, pulls into the next thing that we found. This is one of the main things I was interested in is uh, what percentage of these podcasts are bipartisan, mm-hmm. and I was guessing it would be low. I actually maybe thought it would be a little higher than it was because it was under six percent. Um. And by by partisan, I meant not just like, you know, every once in a while on, say, the Ezra Klein show, he'll bring on a conservative. And but by by partisan, I mean, you know, we're pretty much every week. Yeah, like us, essentially. And there's just there's just not much of that at all, though. I I do want to point out that one of those bipartisan shows was a top 10 podcast. New York Times does a bipartisan politics podcast called The Argument, which is almost as good as our show, Jay. It's really, really pretty. It's one of my favorites. So, uh, okay. So yeah, were you surprised by that at all? Um, yeah, um, no. Again, I think there's there's just more of a market for, uh, I mean, for rightly or wrongly, or unfortunately, that that for kind of preaching to the choir, yeah. right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people, and I think this is more a phenomenon, uh, a phenomenon of the left than the right. 
that you take politics as part of your identity, right? That it's it's sort of it's the clothes you wear. It's it's the you know it's, it's so it's it's part of your brand, and and um, yeah. so you're necessarily going to seek out something that that sort of affirms that. Um, oh, it's more and more become a thing on the right. I I would say than it used to be. Know, say I, back in the day when you and I were in college, maybe. Yeah, but I would say again. Uh, I think folks on the right in general, and again, this is a, this is a, a generalization. Sure. Um, are less invested with their identity as being, uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe at least as far, again, I, I know people who listen to, to things, but, but there's not that many folks who are, uh, outwardly <laughs> out conservative, you know what I mean? At least, I mean, again, I suppose different people have different experiences, but, um, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree. We're more in reticent. Part, you know. Yeah, we but, don't take the streets and bang on drums and so forth. It's just, it's just not in our nature. And, and I would argue token, that by the same token, we're not necessarily seeking out politics things uh, podcasts because that may be not less less a part of our yeah. lives than it is for someone on the left. Yeah, and, and I would argue, I would agree with you, but then I would respond by saying, well, of course you don't have to because the entire system has been designed to cater to <laughs> cater to you and your interests. <laughs> and so, in our favor, you know, exactly. So, you know, the, when the so system, I don't need to listen to politics. Right, because the, yes. the system's designed to work for you. So, yeah, anyway, but that's, that's my... But, you know, a couple of other interesting things I thought was that... Uh, Two-thirds of the podcast were hosted exclusively by whites and over half by male. So it's basically a white guy kind of thing. Uh, and actually, under 20% were hosted exclusively by females. Um, I don't know that that's surprised. glass ceiling. Well, you know, I don't know if that surprised me a whole lot because podcasts are a little techier and there's this kind of bias in tech circles. I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, look, it's, it's inherently dorky, right? Yeah, at least on the on the production end of it, yeah. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Well, even on the even on the the you know the talent end, like mine, um, I think it's it's sort of inherently dorky, right? It's kind of yeah. You could you could also you could also get those same statistics for like you know, um, video game playing and Dungeons and Dragons playing and uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, I, I dark guess... sci-fi movie watching. I, I think it's just sort of. I think one thing that I and to that extent, I think yeah, but in terms of I guess I was in a way a little bit surprised by how low minority representation was. I mean, especially I, I thought for some reason there'd be more African American podcasts, or at least with African American hosts, but there wasn't a, there wasn't nearly as much of that as as I thought. And that to me is not like a dorky kind of thing because right. you can be plenty dorky regardless of what your color is, you know. Sure. And so that to me, I don't know what what do you think? Well, I don't know. To me, that was, and maybe that's there's a socioeconomic thing. I don't know. <laughs> to, some, to some extent, there is there is a. I mean, look, I'm, I suppose people like it, but there is sort of like white and dorky is sort of a, well, yeah. a stereotype, right? Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. Um, so. so, but basically, I mean, it's not exactly a picture of America, right? I mean, and yeah. I even I even went and broke it down, not just by the top 200, but I looked at the top 20 podcasts, and it's still pretty much the same because, of course, when you start going down in numbers, I mean those top 10 podcasts have a lot bigger numbers than say something at, you know, one twelve or something like that, but it's still right. pretty consistent. There's the podcast world is essentially a white male journalist type of world for better yep. or worse. And I would argue, you know, for, for worse. And we could, we could certainly do a lot better. Yep. But also I wanted to point out another part of this is 
I compile, if you're interested in more kind of uh, political science-y type podcasts as opposed to the sort of things that journalists do, I, I actually, as part of the project, compiled a list of political science type podcast where people like like me political scientists are on on a regular basis and i as post as opposed to like professional journalist people yeah exactly yeah. because i really think that that perspective is different and you can get something from political scientists that you can't get from journalists and you know vice versa of course so if you're interested in checking out that list you can go to politicsguys.com it's one of the menu options there that you'll see called i think political scientist podcast and if you know of one that's not on there let me know and i'll put it on there so all right. I think that about does it for this show, Jay. Yeah. All right. Well, of course, if you are a supporter, we'd like to thank you very much. And if you're not, hey, you can become one. Uh, Patreon.com slash politicsguys or politicsguys.com slash support. And if you're, if you are, whether you are or aren't a supporter, if you could subscribe to the show, that helps share it with people, pass it along. That would be great. That really helps us out as well as does leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. And if you want to get in touch with us, I keep on forgetting to say this, but yes, we do want to hear from you. Mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page where you can message us and we post stuff throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. Executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, and Benji Fishman. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us. I'm going to go get a chicken sandwich now.